Hello, everybody. My name is Tim, and I am the host of the Theology Taco podcast. Uh, This is a secret episode because I said I'd be taking three episodes off until the relaunch. So, shh, pretend I'm somebody else right now. Uh, So I'd like to share with you a sermon that I wrote a few years ago. So let's begin. Have you ever taken on a task that you feel God has led you to uh, only to find out or only to find a mountain of opposition has come against you? Perhaps this opposition has even delayed the project for some time and it felt as though it was never going to be accomplished. When I turned 30, I felt the call of God God to become a pastor. The problem was I didn't know that much about the Bible, so to fix that, I went to college. After I graduated college, I still didn't become a pastor, so I thought, well, maybe more churches want people with a graduate degree. The thing of it is, is that a lot of people, or a lot of God's people, go through something like this, but sometimes on a much larger scale. The missionary, William Carey, experienced such a situation. While he was living in England, he told his wife that God was leading him to become a missionary to India. While she refused to go with him, but for William, the call was so strong on his life that he initially tried to leave without her. Can you imagine that? Sorry, babe, I'm Audi 500. That was supposed to be funny. Uh, Anyways, it turns out that uh, he had to delay his trip for a little bit so he could settle some financial debts. But during that time, he was able to convince his wife to join him. And so she left uh, with him and they took the kids too. However, when they arrived in India, his son tragically died. And due to the grief she experienced, Mrs. Carey slowly started to lose her grip on her sanity. What is just as troubling is that Carrie experienced all of that, his son's death, his wife literally going insane, and he didn't even get a convert to Christianity for a whole seven years after arriving in India. So the nation of Israel also faced similar experiences In 586 BC, Jerusalem was invaded by King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians, who you may remember from the story of Daniel. He not only demolished the city and the temple, but also took the residents into captivity, sending them to live a life of exile in Babylon. The Israelites, however, had a promise from God, which came out of the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, For the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land I gave their ancestors, and they shall take possession of it. That's Jeremiah 30, verse 3. Well, sure enough, it was about 47 years later, after the collapse of Jerusalem, the then king of Babylon, King Cyrus, issued a decree that not only could all of the Hebrews who wanted to return to Jerusalem now do so, but they could rebuild the temple as well. Victory! Surely now the treasured prophecies of Isaiah, who talked about the desert blooming with life 
and Ezekiel's prophecies about the Dead Sea bringing forth fresh water would come to pass as well, right? Well, anyway, going back to my personal story, I remember the day God called me into the ministry very vividly. I was infused with infused, excuse me, with such a desire to start serving him that I wanted to jump in right away and start sharing the word of God. I started looking into what it would take to become a pastor, assured that I was going to find a place where I could start right away. The only thing that I found was roadblock after roadblock. And as I said already, my knowledge of the scriptures was pretty bad. Well, when the Israelites returned to Jerusalem, though they had money from the Babylonians to rebuild, they faced their own roadblocks. First of all, the Babylonians were still in power. There would be no way that they would let Israel have a king. So they had to settle for a governor appointed by the Babylonians. A guy with the most easily pronounceable name in the history of humanity. Zerubbabel. It makes me laugh. Uh, Their second task, the laying of the foundation for the temple. A task taken up by Zerubbabel and the priest Joshua. The foundation's completion was received with mixed feelings among the people who returned to Jerusalem. Which is strange if you think about it, because rebuilding the temple was something that should have brought joy. The author Ezra gives us some insight about uh, that, saying that those old enough to remember the first temple in all of its glory wept, because... Because what they have seen now was a small accomplishment compared to the old temple. Whoop-de-doo, you think that's great? All that happened was the foundation was laid. If only you could have seen it before. Then imagine this scenario playing out through the centuries. Oh, William Carey got 700 converts in his life? Big deal. I saw hundreds of converts every time John Wesley spoke. You got a call to the ministry? So what? You want a parade? People enter the mission field every day. So when the Israelites were exiled, other people were brought in to settle the land. And then there were also people from the northern kingdom who were exiled even before the people of Jerusalem, whose land was also resettled. So to top off the mood the people were in, those people all of the sudden wanted in on the project. When the people of Jerusalem decided uh, to deny them, Ezra says, the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. That's in Ezra 4.4. So because of their meddling, the project of the rebuilding of the temple was delayed for 17 years. And I didn't include this in my sermon, but if you look in the book of Haggai, there were a lot of people uh, saying, well, it's just not time yet to, to rebuild the temple. But can you imagine 17 years of, of dealing with that? Can you imagine the questions going through people's heads uh, at that time? It might be something like, I thought it was God's will to rebuild the temple. How are people preventing us from building? Where is God and why isn't he doing anything? 
I thought God told me to become a missionary to India. Why didn't why did he let my son die? And why is my wife why is she going insane? Why is it taking so long for me to help someone convert to Christianity? I thought God called me to be his minister. Why do I have to go back to to school and keep on waiting? So getting back to the Israelites, another thing that you have to understand about the importance of the temple is that it was the cultural and religious focal point of the community. Additionally, the temple signifies the presence of God. So for the Israelites, it was a necessity to complete the temple so that the community would once again uh, know that God dwelt among his people. You can imagine that all of the delays made the people of Jerusalem feel a little helpless. But I have a question. Since when has God not seen his will through? God saw their situation as he had done since bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. He sent his prophets to minister to his people. And in this case, it was the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah's book is interesting. It's one of the books in the Old Testament that is considered apocalyptic, at least in part. The term apocalyptic doesn't always refer to calamity, but it does refer, excuse me, refer to a revealing of heavenly activities that affect the natural world. Most often, these revelations come through visions and are filled with a lot of symbolism. And they also have an angelic interpreter who accompanies the prophet. Prophets, much like the New Testament authors, speak to the concerns of God's people, which, as we know, now know, is the restoration of the temple. You see, God wasn't going to let his people go unanswered. And in chapter 4 of Zechariah, where the prophet is describing his, his sixth vision about the importance of Zerubbabel and Joshua's roles, there is a sudden interruption, which is called an oracle. It speaks concerning Zerubbabel and the frustrations he is experiencing in trying to rebuild the temple. Listen to what it says uh, in, ch in chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. He said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring out the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of the small things shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. What I love about this passage is the multiple things it holds. It's not just one dimensional, and most scripture isn't. Rather, it gives promises to both Zerubbabel and the community of Jerusalem. Jerusalem in rapid-fire succession. What I love about it most, though, is that it says how the task is going to be accomplished, by God's Spirit. 
The root word for God's spirit in Hebrew is ruach. It does not mean some kind of wispy thing that can get blown away by the wind, sort of like uh, smoke when a candle goes out. But it is the wind. It is the breath of God that breathes, uh, breathes life into all creation. You see, when the Israelites came back to Jerusalem after the exile, they didn't have a military. So they, could, they couldn't expel the people who were preventing them from building you know, with force. They also didn't have the numbers of builders that Solomon had when he constructed the first temple. Instead, the Israelites would have to rely on the provision of God's Spirit to be enough to accomplish the task. God assures them through this oracle that the temple will be rebuilt. Not only that, though, the frustration and the trouble that plagued them in the delay of the building, which had risen up like a mountain, it would be leveled flat into a field. Because compared to the power of God, a mountain is nothing. So, was the temple rebuilt? Did God keep his promise to Zerubbabel and the people? Sometime while Zechariah was ministering, a Babylonian official came to Jerusalem and asked the elders, Who gave you a, de excuse me, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish the structure? The elders answered that it was... It was King Cyrus. So the official sent word to the new Babylonian king, Darius, to see if this was true. After some time of searching through the archives, Darius answered with his own decree, Let the house be rebuilt. Let the work on this house of God alone. Uh, leave it alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Not only that, though, the king also decreed the project be paid from the royal treasury and also provide Jerusalem with animals for sacrifices to God. The temple was completed then four years after that decree, decree to the joy of all of Jerusalem. Uh, God finished what he had started. The work of his spirit was more than enough. Additionally, the missionary William Carey only converted about 700 people throughout his 41 years of ministry to India, and yet he is credited with the title of the father of all modern missions <laughs> because of all those who he had inspired to enter the missionary work through his Bible translations, education, and social reforms. I don't know what my legacy will entail. I am still relatively young and still in school. However, I am, however, confident in the knowledge that God will finish in me what he started no matter the time it takes or what obstacles I face. But, but I am also confident that if you are faithful to God, that he will finish the work he has started in you as well. Okay, so here's the thing that I that I said in the sermon that I wrote four years ago that stayed with me, and that is how God's Spirit is working in things even when we don't see it. Right now, a lot of the country has encouraged people to distance themselves socially 
for about two weeks because of uh, the coronavirus. My daughter has juvenile arthritis and she's on medication that suppresses her immune system. So it's possible that if she were to contract the illness that it could put her in a lot of danger. Uh, my mother, who also lives with us, she's elderly uh, and so she's at great risk too. And we've all seen the hyped up news stories about how contagious the virus is. And man, uh, Italy is in a lot of turmoil because of the spread. And, and people are dying. And people here in the States and even in other places like Australia are going nuts over toilet paper. And myself, who likes to make memes, is having a, a heyday with that. But anyways, my, my point is, is that with all of the unknowns, with all of the fear, the death, the chaos, it's super difficult to see what in the heck is God is doing about that right now. Some people say that God is sovereign and that all of this might be part of his plan. Well, uh, I agree that God certainly is sovereign, but the Bible showed us in this story that I just spoke about uh, is that his spirit is always working on our behalf whenever we create problems for ourselves. I think that maybe in a few years in the future, uh, we may see how that all played out about what what's happening now in our country and all over the world. However, as people of God, what what we can do about it now is act like people of God. I know that uh, for me, uh, what that exactly means is what Jesus says the two greatest commandments are, to love God with every part of your being and to love your neighbor the way that you would want to be loved. There are people everywhere in places that you live, they're struggling to make it financially. If they have a job that's in a venue where it's meant to host a lot of people. And there are kids who depend on the breakfast and the lunch programs in public schools to get so they, they can get three meals a day. Uh, they might not have them now. So if you have the, the availability to give or even take part in supporting these people, then I urge you to please do that. Remember that if you are in a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit now resides in you. If you, a Christian, start loving your neighbor who needs support, then that is one guaranteed way that the Spirit will be working in this situation. And I believe that the Spirit will prompt you to do this. So, In addition to this, remember to steadfastly pray about this whole situation, because even though prayer might not be PC anymore, it is still an important part of your faith. All right, so I just want to close in a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the ways that you have revealed yourself and the way that you reveal that you, the, just the ways that you work and the ways that you, re, you reveal that to us in the Bible. God, I pray that you would please work in this whole mess of uh, this nightmare of this COVID-19. God, I just pray that you would flood this earth 
with your healing power and that you would just wipe away this illness and pray God as we mourn with the people who have lost loved ones that you would just uh, comfort them and use us to comfort comfort them too and uh, I pray God that you would just um, that you would just help us to look like uh, your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to thank you for listening. And I, I ask you to stay tuned for more to see in the future. The whole reason why I wanted to do this episode is because there were. they, The government, the CDC, whoever, has been asking people to not uh, meet in groups of 50 or more if you can help it. And so a lot of churches have been uh, suspending their services. And to me, that's just not okay. I mean, I respect the decisions of all these pastors and, and I, I'm praying for them. But I, I can bet you that they don't think it's okay either that this illness is just causing this kind of uh, thing to happen. And spiritual health of people is important to me. So I just wanted to at least, you know, get this out there. And I hope that it helps somebody in some kind of way. And since we don't know how long this is going to go on, I'm going to be doing everything that I can to help make sure that people are uh, staying spiritually healthy. They're getting spiritually fed in their faith. So... Uh, again, I just want to thank you for listening, and I, you'll hear from me soon. Uh, ha- please have a nice uh, rest of the week, and God bless you.